Welcome to the Tip of the Spear, where it's my mission to honor the ways of our ancestors by putting back in what the modern world left out to return our people to strength, health, and happiness. I'm your host, Ben Johnson, and I know from decades of my own suffering that our decisions around food, movement, environment, and community can unlock vibrant health, the kind of health that will unleash your full potential. Our forefathers possessed resilience and problem-solving that shames our safe space, everyone's a winner, nonsense-laden culture of today. I'm here to show you how to put back in what the modern world left out, to return you to your birthright of strength, health, and happiness. Jambosana, my friends, (laughs) thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Tip of the Spear podcast, where I'm going to be talking about diet and eating like our ancestors and why food is such an important lever in manifesting the best version of yourself and delivering the most value that you can in your community and in the world. This is one that's near and dear to my heart. Food has been a crucial lever and a long and winding journey in my path to health and wellness. And I know that for me, I have all kinds of obscure symptoms when I eat foods that I shouldn't that are tough to associate if if you don't have the experience or you've never tried an elimination diet to um, diet as a root cause. So for me, I get you know mucus, congestion, my nose gets stuffy, my sinuses get stuffy, my joints get achy, my muscles ache, my lower back and hips hurt. It just beca- it gets hard to move around and... Um, show up in the world the way that I want to. So for, for me, diet is huge, and I know it will be huge for you too. And it's a complicated one because the world that we live in and kind of the market incentives that have been created have really perverted our food system. And in today's day and age, especially in America, it's much cheaper and easier to eat hyper-processed, hyper-palatable food stuffs that derange your metabolism, they make you gain weight, um, they just make it hard to be a healthy human, and it, it sucks. It, it's, it sucks that it's that way. I want to talk a little bit about you know why it's that way and then dig into what eating like our ancestors looks like, what our biology and physiology expect from a nutritional perspective, and kind of the building blocks that you need to provide to be the best version of yourself day in and day out. So kind of as I stated, our current food production system Uh, And the food that's most readily available to us is completely opposed to what our biology and physiology expect. In large part, this is a result of government subsidies and perverted market incentives. That's a much deeper rabbit hole than I want to dig into today. But in short, since 1933, coming out of the Great Depression, our government elected to subsidized food production, which certainly is a good idea. We need to make sure that we have food for our populace to eat and that we're nourishing our population so that they can you know, work and be, be the best that they can be in their day, day-to-day life. But the subsidies have been disproportionately um, applied to grain production. So let me go back here to my notes. So for U.S. farm subsidies, 70% of our total farm subsidy handouts go to three crops, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Two of those are particularly insidious, corn and soybeans, because they're further refined 
to make high fructose corn syrup, uh, soybean oil, corn oil, a bunch of processed food additives that are completely divorced from the natural food of corn and soybeans. And they're processed and refined and made hypocaloric and hyperpalatable and ultra cheap because the government subsidized. They guarantee a minimum selling a minimum sale price to farmers who grow these grains through crop insurance and some other programs. So when food producers or manufacturers look to buy inputs for their food products, these refined corn and soy inputs are massively cheap and it allows or has created the, you know, just explosion of grocery store packaged goods that are literally engineered by foodstuff companies to be hyper palatable so that we overeat them and we crave them and they they almost short circuit our neurocircuitry our yeah our neurocircuitry to um, tell us oh my god this is so rewarding you need to eat more of this never in our evolutionary history would we have found foods that were so high in simple sugars and fats and as a result, it's really hard for us as people to have a healthy relationship or a healthy level of consumption of these foods. So yeah, in short, big ag and giant foodstuff companies are not only destroying our soils with nutritionally empty grains, but they then concoct those refined grains into liquid calories in the form of soda and high fructose corn syrup, and then processed packages that are literally optimized for mouthfeel and binge eating. And what this surplus of foodstuffs has resulted in is a pandemic of diabetes and obesity. (laughs) 71% of U.S. adults are overweight. Of those 71% that are overweight, over 40% are obese. That's mind-blowing when you think about our natural state is to be lean and healthy and, you know, eat according to activity levels and the expectations of our biology, which was much less carbohydrates, much less sugar. That stuff just wasn't around in our ancestral past. And as a result, we didn't have this excess body mass that we were carrying around, not only physically carrying around, but it dilutes our immune system response. It causes chaos on a whole bunch of systems. Um, Obesity is a causative factor in type 2 diabetes, metabolic dysfunction, a range of cancers, heart disease, just to name a few. And it grossly increases our healthcare spend, which is, is another issue, another tangent that we don't need to get into. But, you know, so we, we, we're subsidizing our the production of these grains that we're then overeating, which is the intention of the people producing the foods. And as a result, we're more expensive from a healthcare perspective. So it's a, it's a drain on our total economic system. And more importantly, it's a drain on the human experience and the, not the production, but the manifestation of the beautiful people that we all are at our core. Um, I know from my, my own life that when I am inflamed or when I am struggling with my health, my personality, my emotions, my intellect, all of it is suppressed. I'm not the person that I'm capable of being at a, a fundamental level because my health is dysfunctional. And I see that in the world today. Um, I, I was just took a trip to San Francisco, which is a beautiful city. It's kind of like a Mad Max scene because the politics are such shit and there's just like literally criminals and drug addicts everywhere all over the city, which is another tangent. But while we were there... Um, there was a, a parking guy 
who was writing a ticket for someone who had parked. The whole city is kind of tightly controlled from a parking perspective. You can only be in these public parking spots for two hours. So there's lots of folks driving around, you know, writing tickets if you've been there for too long. So the streets of San Francisco are big hills in a lot of way, a lot of places. So this guy was parked on a steep hill, writing a ticket to someone who had been parked for too long. And he, his belly was massive, absolutely massive. He was leaning into the incline of the hill because it was so much work for him to stand. He's standing there sweating. He's writing this ticket. And the look on his face was one of absolute dejection and suffering. Like from a first principle, he was suffering. And it was, it broke my heart. Like (laughs) that doesn't need to be the case. And it sucks that a lot of the, mm, that the world really, we have so much momentum running in the wrong direction. So it's easier than it should be for people to reach that state of health. And then as you're moving down that path and your mental model becomes one of like, oh, I'm overweight, I'm obese, and your self-talk starts to reinforce that perceived reality, it's just a runaway train. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're socially isolated because you feel bad about the way that you look, and you're not expressing the beauty of your human potential to its fullest. And again, I've, I've been there. I don't mean to sound judgmental. I've been in that exact same space, not associated with obesity, but associated with cystic acne, where I would isolate myself completely from my friends and family because I felt bad about the way that I looked. I carried around so much shame and that narrative of I'm ugly became a first principle in my brain. And it took me a lot of hard work to get over that. And it it breaks my heart to see that in other people. And I know that it's not the only productive position to have is that you are 100% responsible for everything that happens to you. So I'm not going to tell you it's not your fault, but it is easier than it should be to get there because of the perverted incentives and institutions and foodstuffs that exist uh, from our food production paradigm today. So all of that to say, our modern world is directly opposed to the expectations of our biology from a dietary perspective. And as a result, you need to be an educated consumer to make decisions around food that optimize your well-being. So what does that look like? Eating like our ancestors is how um, Brian Johnson, the liver king, has articulated it. I think that's a great model because when we think about it evolutionarily, we never had access to processed foods. We had to go kill animals or harvest or hunt. We had to hunt or gather. So we either needed to kill animals or we needed to gather in-season fruits and vegetables that we would then cook or prepare in a way that made them easy to digest. So the solution to this perverted food environment of processed food stuffs. It, what keeps popping into my brain is that are optimized for mouthfeel. There's a great book called uh, Salt, Sugar, Fat out there that talks about U.S. food production and how these big companies, Frito-Lay, Mars, uh, Coke, they, they employ food scientists that sit in labs and they test these foods to find what they call the bliss point, which means that when you eat it, It short circuits your brain to say, oh my God, this is too good for me to stop eating. And they develop products explicitly with a goal of optimizing for this bliss point so that people will overeat, they'll develop addictive relationships to these foods, and they'll be consistent repeat purchasers or consumers of these food products. 
It's, it's disgusting. It's heartbreaking. It's sad. And it has contributed to this obesity pandemic that is going on around the world. And really, there's two pandemics going on right now concurrently. The first and the more insidious one is obesity and overweight metabolic dysfunction at, at an aggregate level, as, as my friend Paul Saladino likes to talk about. Metabolic dysfunction is the pandemic we've been experiencing for the last decade, it's much more insidious than coronavirus because it complicates your health in numerous ways from type 2 diabetes to heart disease to cancer. That It increases our national health care expenditure by $150 billion a year because 70 plus percent of our society is overweight. And when you're overweight, you're more expensive from a healthcare perspective. So there's <laughs> my brain is going in so many directions. But when we think about Healthcare, you know, a lot of the narrative today is like private healthcare versus um, government healthcare. Like, oh, we should have a single payer system. That would be such an easy solution if we weren't so fucking expensive to take care of. And because we're so expensive, we're not talking about the right solutions. That's a problem that I see in a lot of the narratives of society today. We we focus on things that aren't actual root causes, and we we look for short term solutions that are hyper-polarized and black and white and our media contributes to this dynamic and there's so many different things that make it hard to communicate at a group level but long story short we're ruining our health through food we're ruining our ability to provide quality health care to our populace because of the impacts of this food and i'm obviously grossly oversimplifying but there's all kinds of repercussions associated with our current food dynamic. And the solution to that is returning to a diet that is ancestral in nature, that meets the expectations of our biology and our physiology. So what does that look like? You know, for me, it's prioritizing protein and fat, eating seasonally, eating whole foods that are prepared in a way that simply or optimize digestion. So eating a bunch of raw tubers, right, is not good for your gut. <laughs> it's Your body doesn't know what to do with that um, plant fiber and all of these unbroken down um, sugars and different things. So cooking food so that it's easy to digest. I would say eliminating refined grains, refined sugars, and seed oils. Those three are huge, right? We take all this corn, soy, and wheat. We cut it from the chaff. We refine it into this shelf-stable food stuff. And then we take that as input and we produce it into a bunch of packaged foods. So your Twinkies, your Pop-Tarts, your Chips Ahoy, all of these things are full of refined grains and refined sugars. And those are trash. And they're also full of seed oils, which are, you know, we could do a whole episode on seed oils, but they're easily oxidized so there are these fats that are they go rancid easily and we package them with these other two poisons of refined grains and refined sugars and we make things that taste great right because what do we like from a taste perspective what are our brains conditioned or yeah conditioned to expect from our food it's it's simple carbohydrates and sugars because that's easily available glucose that's not expensive for us to to like integrate into our metabolic being <laughs> and then it's fat because fat is a long-term energy store and then it's protein so we're able to take and and salt as well to some extent so we're able to take three of these salt fat and sugar and pack them in into these hyper palatable or they taste so good that your brain doesn't want you to stop eating them um, packages and we overeat 
um, we drive inflammatory responses in our body that over prolonged exposure or years of overeating result in type 2 diabetes, you know, earlier than that glucose dysregulation and the chronic impact over 10, 20, 30 years of that environment is cancer, it's heart disease, it's all of these conditions that are incredibly expensive and hard to correct once they're present, but 100% preventable and reversible if you manage diet and lifestyle correctly. So again, to, to go back to what does eating ancestrally look like? It looks like prioritizing protein and fat, eating whole foods, eating seasonally, and then eliminating refined grains, refined sugars, and seed oils. For me, I've tried to not eat, eat anything that comes from a package. I know that's hard, and in today's day and age where we're running a million miles a minute, that might be asking too much, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's the most important, one of the most important things you can do to take control of your health and take control of your life. You know, I think it's so easy for us to make excuses, but at the end of the day, I love uh, Grant Cardone. He talks about like the only productive position to have is I am 100% responsible for everything that happens to me. So self-responsibility is the only productive place to be. So it's on us to take control of our lives and make decisions that result in the best health and expression of our genes and our physical, emotional, and intellectual beings. So outside of those like big buckets of eliminating refined grains, refined sugars, and seed oils, not eating from packaging, and then prioritizing healthy proteins and fats, and eating seasonal whole foods, um, there's a couple other things that our ancestors certainly did that we have gotten way away from today. Uh, you know, we were told to eat three square meals a day, eat snacks in between if, you, if you're feeling like you need more energy. Um, that's bullshit. <laughs> I eat two meals a day and I try not to snack at all. But the broader practice to focus on is our ancestors definitely practiced intermittent fasting and prolonged fasting. So fasting as a tool to kind of reduce our energy consumption and drive a negative caloric balance, meaning that we're burning more energy than we consume, and also to utilize or kick our bodies into ketosis, right? Ketosis is the process where our body burns fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates. And through intermittent fasting and prolonged fasting of two to five days, you can improve your metabolic flexibility, meaning that you can improve your body's ability to use fat as fuel which has a host of benefits. It's, it's, shown, it's been shown to be hugely beneficial for neuro, neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, kids who have severe epilepsy have been prescribed ketogenic diets for decades, and they've seen remarkable results because when you, your, your, bot, your brain is all cholesterol, it's all fat, and it will preferentially use ketones to fuel as opposed to glucose when the conditions are right. And so it's, it's so good for you. Another beautiful benefit of ketosis is it upregulates mitochondrial neurogenesis in your brain, meaning that it allows your brain or helps your brain build new energy factories in your brain to um, process fat as fuel and to execute all of the different you know, energy exchanges that go on in your brain during the day. So your brain becomes a more robust, effective, and efficient machine on ketosis. And I definitely have seen that directly in my own experience, where if I'm, 
if I'm heavily glucose dependent or I'm eating a lot of carbohydrates, I'm more spastic. You know, I've been diagnosed with ADD in elementary school. Um, and I've definitely, I can see a massive difference in the expression of my brain and the level of focus and concentration that I have while on ketosis. It's, it's a give and take. I like the, uh, impacts of carbohydrate on my physical performance. And I'd say my hormones, I'm, I'm a more robust man when I'm eating carbs, but there's definitely room for intermittent fasting, intermittent ketosis, and the occasional prolonged fast to upregulate all kinds of different things like autophagy and which is the clearing of senescent cells. Fasting is amazing. So long story short, eating ancestrally includes fasting, whether that is intermittent fasting or it's an occasional prolonged fast. It's an important component of eating like our ancestors and optimizing your metabolic health. Another note on prolonged fasting, I've I just recently did a five-day fast, which was the longest fast that I have done. And I've, I've previously done two and three days, but five days was the longest that I've done. And it was amazing to me how, A, you have so much more time. <laughs> you, I didn't realize how much time I spend each day thinking about food, preparing food, eating food, cleaning up from eating. Uh, so when you remove that as uh, an activity from your plate completely for those five days, you, you have so much time. Uh, which is a beautiful thing. And it creates not only a physical space, but that physical space becomes a mental space and a spiritual space. And for me, on days three, four, and five of my fast, days one and two were hard because I was heavily carbohydrate dependent. I'd been eating a lot of carbs leading into the fast. So it took a solid two and a half days for my body to kick over to ketosis. But once I was in uh, a deep state of ketosis, my focus was great. My ability to sit down and do um, prolonged, uninterrupted mental work was amazing. So lots of organizing and planning and writing emails and handling projects. And then in day four and day five, what I found was that spiritual space was also hugely beneficial. Like religions have talked for thousands of years about the importance of fasting and abstaining from temptation and indulgence. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that as experienced um, by me, I, I, all of these things started coming back to me. I would say trauma or baggage that I have been holding on to that had been unacknowledged for for decades as a kid. Like you know, being a bully uh, and being bullied, uh, instances of humiliation or shame. All of these things came back to me just like in waves, where it was like, oh my god, I had completely forgot that I was holding on to that stuff. I had just crammed it down with my continued consumption and quote, progress in my life. Uh, and fasting created a beautiful window for me to process some of that stuff, integrate it, uh, and hopefully, uh, I'd like to think, you know, set those bags down so that I'm no longer carrying those emotional and psychological burdens. So intermittent fasting, prolonged fasting as um, mechanisms to limit caloric intake, help with weight loss, improve metabolic flexibility and improve your body's ability to be in ketosis. And then the third one would be ketosis or a ketogenic diet as a dietary strategy. There were definitely times in our ancestral past where we did not have access to carbohydrates. If it was dead of the winter, all we were eating was the animals that we killed and the stuff that we had preserved through fermentation or salt, which was probably meat and fat. And our body expects those bouts of ketosis. And there's all kinds of metabolic machinery that we build 
to exist and thrive in an environment that is devoid of carbohydrates. So occasional ketogenic diet coupled with fasting and then, you know, primarily an ancestral diet where you prioritize protein and fat, you eat seasonally, you eat whole foods and you eliminate refined grains, refined sugars and seed oils, trying not to eat anything from packaging. Um, that is going to be your best bet. On the note of not eating anything from packaging, I'm just looking at my notes here. I, I spent a lot of time working in grocery stores as I was building my professional resume, if you will. And one of the things that I've, I learned was just avoid the middle of the grocery store. You know, your produce, your meat, all of the good stuff is on the, the perimeter. And they know grocery stores are strategically designed that if they can get you into the middle of the store, you're going to make impulse purchases on all the package stuff that is the high margin profitable stuff for the grocery stores. So if you can avoid the middle of the grocery store, you can eat your produce, your your meat and seafood, your eggs and dairy that, that are all traditionally on the perimeter of the store. And then you can get out of there after that, you're going to be much better off. But going back to the ketosis, the ketogenic diet, a ketogenic diet is traditionally defined as 70% fat, 20 to 25% protein and 5% carbohydrates. So it's, it's an interesting diet to start on because you find yourself eating a lot of like butter and bacon and eggs in these foods that you've been told are not healthy at all. But, uh, you know, that that's a whole separate conversation about eating those foods in the presence of refined sugars makes them much worse for you. If you're blood sugar is stable, which it will be on a ketogenic diet, your body knows exactly what to do with those with those fats and those calories. So a ketogenic diet is a fantastic way uh, to kind of return to your ancestral lineage and optimize your metabolism and upregulate mitochondrial biogenesis in your brain. Um, just it's it's an amazing state to be in as a human. And if you've never tried ketosis, I would highly recommend you try it. It's it's a beautiful thing to see that our bodies have this ability to not only burn carbohydrate, but also burn fat. We can burn multiple energy substrates and we can thrive. And you, there are benefits associated with both of those. And it's cool to see your body build the metabolic machine, machinery that you need to be in ketosis. And then to see um, more calmed and focused energy, uh, less emotional variability, which can be tied to blood sugar dysregulation. And it's just a fun experiment to run on yourself. We have, I've been thinking about this a lot, like we have the best, most intricate and amazing joystick in our human body to play this game of life with. And manipulating your diet is a cool way to see the capabilities of your body that you may not have realized were even there. So, eating like our ancestors. Let me go back here and make sure I haven't missed anything. I think, yeah, I think that's it. So, in to recap, our modern day food production systems and just the world around us makes it very difficult for us to eat in a way that's aligned with the expectations of our biology and physiology. The result of that misalignment is profound suffering in the human population, as experienced by obesity, metabolic dysfunction, type 2 diabetes, blood sugar dysregulation, inconsistent energy levels, anxiety, depression, cancer, heart disease, all of these things uh, kind of stem from the misalignment of our dietary environment and the expectations of our organism. And the way that we can fix those problems 
with complete ownership of our own lives and our own experience is a return to a diet that meets the expectations of our biology. That's one where we prioritize protein and fat. We eat seasonal whole foods that are prepared in a way that make them easy to digest. We eliminate refined grains, refined sugars, and seed oils. We try not to eat anything from a package. Definitely nothing from Kellogg or Nabisco or General Mills because everything they're making is bullshit. It's from a first principle, high margin, profitable foodstuffs that have kind of leveraged this demented subsidization program of refined grains and carbohydrates. So nothing from those those bastards. <laughs> and then practicing fasting, both intermittent, which I, I guess I didn't really talk about. Intermittent fasting would be, or time-restricted feeding, I think is a better way to, to articulate it, where you're eating in a compressed window each day. So for me, what I do is a 16-8, where I don't eat for 16 hours. I'll break my fast after my morning workout at 10 a.m., and then I try and be done eating by 6 p.m. So that 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., that eight-hour window, I eat all my calories for the day. And then I fast, or it's not really fasting because it's it's still daily eating, but I, I time restrict my feeding so that I, I sleep well, I create space for my body to digest and assimilate nutrients. Um, so intermittent fasting is another really good one. And then prolonged fasting, especially if you're experiencing, for myself, as I've been recovering from Crohn's, you know, I did multiple three-day fasts and one five-day fast. And I, I know I could feel and see on the other side, like the end of my fast, the improvements in my digestion and the overall resolution of or improvement in the systemic inflammation that I was experiencing as a result of my inflammatory bowel, quote, disease. I say quote because I'm completely recovered from it. I, I don't think it's a lifelong condition as the medical establishment would like us to believe that it is if you do the right things and create the space that you need to heal. But I'm being very tangential and for that I apologize. And finally, uh, ketosis. So ketogenic diet. I like to do a ketogenic diet for two to four weeks uh, every quarter or every six months just to make sure that my body has the metabolic machinery to burn fat as fuel and that I'm encouraging that metabolic flexibility so that my body is resilient and robust and is capable of thriving in multiple different environments. So that's been a long-winded and tangential exposition on eating like our ancestors. I have, just to be transparent with you guys, it has taken me forever to get this episode out there because I just felt like I was preaching for the first six times I recorded it. So I'm trying to think about things more as, um, you know, highlight the principle, state the problem, frame why it's a problem and kind of create some context around it's not necessarily anyone's fault for the dysfunction of our, our health and the way that it is today because our systems have incentivized a lot of things that aren't the best for us and then to offer a solution. I say it's not anyone's fault, but I do want to put the caveat again of self-responsibility is the only way to be productive in life. Um, so I am 100% responsible for everything that's happened to me. And you are 100% responsible for everything that's happened to you. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to, to point the finger and lay blame. And that may even be true. There may be some circumstances outside of your control that you couldn't influence. But now you can influence those results. You can account for the discrepancies and you can take control of your own life. And that's one of the profound first principles I really want to communicate through this podcast is that we can build whatever life we want. We just have to be intentional and relentless in pursuing our goals. 
And diet as a lever for optimizing your biology and your human experience is hugely important. So I started out saying it took me a long time to record this podcast because I've been struggling with some insecurities about my ability to tell a good story and deliver meaningful content. Um, I know that the only way for me to get better at this is to get reps in and put work out there. So despite the fact that this was kind of a tangential and maybe incomplete articulation of eating like our ancestors, I'm going to press publish. We're going to keep moving. Um, The next podcast that I do will be ancestral tenant number four, which is move like our ancestors. Oh, I'm sorry. Ancestral tenant number three podcast number four, which is move like our early ancestors did. I'm really excited for that one. I love exercise. I've seen such a profound benefit in my emotional, intellectual, and spiritual expression through both food and exercise as primary levers to to optimize our health. So I'm excited to talk about that. I hope you guys find some value in this. If you if you do, please share it with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram at human updated, and you can always send me an email at podcast at tip of the spear dot co uh, and ask any questions. Uh, I'm, I'm here for you. I love you. I hope you're doing well, and we'll talk to you again soon.